0: This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. No one compliments you when their paycheck's correct. But make one mistake and you risk alienating your entire workforce. Kronos makes sure your payroll is done right the first time, from punch to paycheck. With embedded checklists and simplified workflows, Kronos is your single source of truth. With Kronos, you get HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping in one unified system, all with a proven implementation approach and simplified, transparent pricing. Learn more at Kronos.com payroll. Kronos, workforce innovation that works. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. By 2017, comedian Chelsea Handler had been hosting her popular late-night show for a dozen years, first on E! Network and then on Netflix, where her talk show Chelsea was one of the first digital forays into late-night television. Then, in October of that year, Chelsea took her fans by surprise when she announced that she was walking away from her show to dedicate the next year to political activism and campaigning across the country for women and minority candidates for office. It was the culmination of a personal and political awakening that began with the disastrous 2016 election a year earlier and led her on a sometimes comical, sometimes painful journey of self-discovery. Now Chelsea talks about that experience and opens up like never before in a hilarious and deeply intimate memoir called Life Will Be the Death of Me, and You Too. And on today's podcast, Chelsea recalls her anger in the wake of the 2016 election Reveals how Trump reminds her a lot of her father, and in some ways, even of herself. And how Donald Trump became the unlikely catalyst for Chelsea to work through some unresolved issues with the help of a clever psychiatrist named Dan. Chelsea opens up about the sudden death of her favorite brother when she was just nine years old and how it impacted every relationship she's had since. But now she says she's finally gotten over her fear of commitment and she's ready to find her mate, although there are still a few non-negotiables. She talks about the moment she realized she'd become an elitist, incapable of operating her own television or making herself a cup of coffee, how she cured what she calls her case of domestic amnesia and regained her competency at life, and the humbling experience of making a documentary about white privilege, including her own. Plus, we get into her deep attraction to Robert Mueller, her obsession with rescuing chow chows, how to fake a Jewish funeral and more. Coming up with Chelsea Handler in just a moment. Chelsea Handler is a writer, comedian, producer, TV host, activist, and the author of five consecutive New York Times bestsellers. She hosted the late-night show Chelsea Lately on E! Network from 2007 to 2014, released a documentary series Chelsea Does on Netflix in January 2016, and in 2016 and 2017, Handler hosted the talk show Chelsea on Netflix. Chelsea's got a documentary about white privilege coming out on Netflix later this year and a brand new book just out titled Life Will Be the Death of Me and You Too. Chelsea Handler, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Hi.
0: Well, Chelsea, I don't think that I even realized until I read this book just how politically engaged you are. You spent all of 2018 campaigning all over the country for women and minority candidates. Uh, Your documentaries for Netflix are covering some pretty interesting social topics. Did the 2016 election awaken something inside of you, or have you always been this political underneath?
1: Uh, no, I had a major midlife identity crisis yeah. right after the election. It was spawned by the election for sure. I w- had like a very high level of outrage, and I wanted to rein it in. I just couldn't. Every day was a 10, and I was addicted to the news and Trump being removed from office, you know, <laughs> anything. Yeah, And I realized that it was becoming, you know, I was toxic. I just I couldn't work. I couldn't focus on anything. All I wanted to do was read Twitter and watch the news and that spin cycle that it beca- became and um, maybe has always been. Anyway, I had a psychiatrist on my talk show, my last talk show at Netflix, and I had interviewed him on camera about child-adolescent brain development. And after the election, I just realized, like, okay, I can't be like this. Like, I felt like my life wasn't my own, and I was so—I felt like the world had become unhinged. And so for the first few sessions with the psychiatrist that I started to see personally— we talked about, I bitched about Donald Trump. I just complained and paid somebody to let me complain about him, and it felt great. I was like, I'd pay you double to do this. Yeah, I think um, I think
0: you said that he had you meditating, and after your meditation sessions, you would then vent about Trump, <laughs> which seems like the opposite of Zen, I would think. Well,
1: <laughs> that's what therapy is, though. You make two yeah. steps forward, three steps back, oh, you know, you and then you're like, oh, wait, you know, you, you meditate with your psychiatrist, you have a great session, you think you're evolving as a human being, and then you go downstairs and get in a screaming mess with the parking lot attendant. You know, it's a constant (laughs) battle of like, what am I doing?
0: And how was it after the 2016 election and processing all of the chaos of the Trump presidency? Were you depressed? Were you angry?
1: I was the closest to depressed that I've ever felt. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people felt the same way and feel the same way. So there's a lot of solace in that. Um, But what you know, him being elected just shook my world so much that it made me really take a look at myself about why I was had been so spoiled, like why mm-hmm. I couldn't just actually harness that outrage into something more meaningful, which was my intention. Um, and I was going to go zigzagging across the country, speaking to different conservative types to try to get a better understanding. And I knew if I had to do that, I was going to have to take it down a notch in mm-hmm. terms of my rage. And so what I uncovered through my, you know, trip with this psychiatrist that lasted about a year was that that unhinged and destabilization represented what happened to me as a kid when my brother died when I was nine years old. And it was, you know, that destabilized me. And that was the world, the rug being ripped out from under me. My brother died and my father, you know, may as well have died right after Mm -hmm. that in many respects. So... It was that trigger for me that made me realize, oh, no, 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 no. My world's not safe again. My world's not safe again. And so, you know. So
0: Trump was kind of a placeholder for a lot of other things. Yes. And he was somebody that
1: I could direct all Mm -hmm. of my anger. Finally, I had somebody to be pissed at. (laughs) Yeah,
0: And, And I think that you actually say that Trump reminds you a lot of your dad. Oh, What was he like?
1: A shyster. My dad okay. was a used car dealer, so that's a literal used car dealer, literal and figurative.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I, my luckily, my dad wasn't able to have a big impact on the world because mm-hmm. he wasn't the most honest, morally bound person. Uh, I'm grateful for that too because it makes me moral and ethical, and I don't want to ever lie, cheat, or steal. You know. And my dad was kind of like he he'd get away with whatever he could get away with.
0: Yeah. I mean, are you amazed when you look at, I don't know what it is now, it's 50 or 30% of America that can't see him for who he is? I mean, Donald Trump, not your dad. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it seems obvious to me. It's like someone who just is such a blatant liar. I think now they have it up to like 22 lies a day, they count it. Yesterday I think he said his Post. father was from Germany.
1: I mean, he yeah. doesn't even know what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone, if they met the guy at a dinner party would get out of there as fast as they can and would get away from this guy. I mean, it's obvious, just the level of bullshit. I, I, I have a hard time understanding why people are in such a denial about that.
1: I think there's also an element of, like, you don't want to be wrong. You right. know, you can't admit you're wrong. I mean, that's everyone's weakness sure. is, is apologizing and saying, oh, yeah, I screwed up. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people hold on so tightly to the idea of we're going to be right in the end, mm-hmm. you know, and then Mueller For coming sure. out with a nothing report isn't helping the situation. Yeah. Um, but somebody who lies daily on television, like to your face, and you still trust is really a question about you.
0: Now, speaking of daddy issues and Donald Trump, I have to ask about Robert Mueller. Apparently, you have some kind of a thing for him. Sexually you're attracted sexually attracted to Robert, attracted to Robert uh, yeah. Mueller, right? He's
1: got a to shit together, and a guy that really? age who still has a six pack, which I can yeah. see underneath his white shirt <laughs> when he walks through hallways, yeah. is hot. Yeah. I like a guy that can have their. I like anybody the who's. Jaw, the yeah, hair. that is the opposite of my father. That yeah. is a man by the book.
0: The fact that he's a man who hardly ever speaks. Yes, I, like that. I imagine
1: <laughs> what he drinks at night, like a Macallan on the rocks, or maybe you know, <laughs> you know, I imagine him going home and thinking about like his little tidy whities or boxers. My friend Mary says he wears. <laughs> boxers because he's a Marine and all Marines wear oh, okay. boxers. Yeah, yeah. So she, that makes she knows everything about Marines apparently. <laughs> um, so yes, I have a definite attraction to yeah. men who do the right thing.
0: <laughs> have you tried to reach out to him? Wait, uh, he's married, right? No, he's gonna hear do you have about a rule me. about that?
1: Yes, I do. I okay. try not to break up marriages, so okay. I'm not going to actively pursue Robert Mueller because I do have respect for his wife and their marriage, and I obviously, I'm not the type of person that Robert is going to find himself with. But um, I... I just want everyone to know how I feel, because mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of women out there that are secretly pining for Robert Mueller, and I want them to know that they are <laughs> not alone.
0: Well, now that the investigation is winding down, what do you think of what you're hearing from the Mueller report? Did Bill Barr's four-page summary get your juices flowing? Is Mueller still sexy to you now, or what He's do you He's still think? sexy. I'd like okay. to see
1: the full report to decide how attracted I will remain, Okay, um, because my attraction does go hand-in-hand hand with Donald Trump going to jail, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. like, so it would be helpful um but I don't think it's over I yeah. think there's I mean he indicted what thirty forty three people right. I don't know what the exact number is but right. it, there is you know a criminal hangs out with other criminals,
0: yeah for sure but I mean it's gonna be hard to find a smoking gun, I think
1: yeah I mean I how so do you th-
0: especially with something like this where it's either collusion obstruction. You know, you can say things that can be construed a million different ways. I mean, what do you think if ultimately Mueller says, "Look, there was a lot of bad shit going on, but you know, there's nothing that's criminally indictable."
1: Yeah, that yeah, meets I that think there's of a
0: proof. I think would you a, accept that?
1: I mean, I have to accept it. I mean, yeah. I'm not, you know, I have to accept it, and I don't, and I don't want them to rob me of any more of my life. You mm. know this this administration. You, if you let yourself, I read this great thing that Rebecca Solnit. Uh, An author wrote about, you know, being an activist, about you can't treat every day, every new crisis at a 10, like to actually play the long game and to calm down and to be strategic and know that, okay if your passion, you know, if your if your cause is Syrian refugees, every refugee horror story can't be you can't react. You have to be there and think about the long game. And so that was a really useful tool because I'm very impulsive and I'm very Mm -hmm. like, get in there. I was going and supporting candidates who I didn't even know about. I was just like, (laughs) anybody, if you're, if you're, you know, a person of color, if you're a woman, I'll support you. And it's like, you can't do that. You have to know what you're talking about, but I'm always full throttle, dive in, look later. And so for me, patience, Having you know, developing yeah. that, developing more empathy. I have a lack of empathy. I discovered through therapy. <laughs> Sympathy, I have it a lot of. Empathy, no. Mm-hmm. So you know, learning about yourself and learning about how to be effective as a person and about the causes, you know, and uh, how to be effective for the causes you care about mm-hmm. uh, was is is a good lesson. And it's important to you know to be, stay focused with him mm-hmm. and without him. Yeah. You know, every day is something horrifying. Well, yeah, that's
0: the thing. And, you know, if every day is a 10 for you and you're just at level 10 outrage over every little leak that comes out, as much as I don't want to give him credit for anything, I think that Donald Trump realizes that. He realizes that the other side has this impulse to want to, you know, call for indictments over everything that comes out. And so it's just him flooding us with information so that he can say, the Democrats are all nuts. They're all right. crazy. Everything's an emergency to them, and yeah. everything is a crisis, and they want right. to indict me over anything that I do. If I go to the bathroom in the morning, they want to indict me. And I think he knows that and wants to try and feed into it. Um, I want to ask you about you know this moment early in the book when you come to a realization that you apparently are the kind of elitist or were the kind of elitist that Trump voters talked about. You were swaddled in all this comfort, surrounded by people around your house doing things for you, and... Uh, Had a a certain lack of competence that had creeped in uh, with basic things like, you know, turning on the TV. Domestic amnesia. I love it. Domestic amnesia. I I think I've definitely got that.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of people working and have had a lot of people working for me for a very long time. And uh, I'm really just embarrassed that I don't know how to do anything around my house or make a cappuccino for that matter. I mean, I'm pretty <laughs> useless when it comes. I've always been that way, but it's gotten like to a point where it was it, it was ridiculous. And mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to be more self-sufficient. I mean, it just was part of my whole kind of wake up or awakening, if you will. I mean, spiritual terms are a little tricky, especially in LA because it's yeah. all you hear. Yeah. And so it's hard to take seriously all the time when people say gratitude and you universe and, and yeah. all of that garbage all the time. It's not garbage, but it's, it it becomes like when it's at such a high yeah. din, it's very hard to swallow. Yeah.
0: Well, it's lost its meaning to a certain point yes. in LA. And diminishes
1: yeah. the value of really being conscious and being mindful and being present with people and taking your yeah. time and not, and getting off your phone every two seconds. You know, the thing I hate the most, is picking up your phone and you don't even know why. It's just the bad habit of like Mm -hmm. running and all of a sudden you're on Instagram. Why? Why? Like I want to be so much more, I want my life to be so much richer richer than that. Not the game where you're looking around to see what everybody else is doing. The game where you're doing what you're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. and being mindful about it and and leaving people with a better feeling after they see you than a worse one, (laughs) which I'm also (laughs) really good at,
0: by the way. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I was alone with my own thoughts these days.
1: I know, but it's, you know, you have to train yourself. You have to rehabituate yourself. Mm -hmm. So whatever your habits are, like I started meditating. When I started seeing my psychiatrist, I could not. I mean, we would sit there for, and you know, he has this thing where he calls the wheel of awareness. And I was like, all right, you already (laughs) lost me. Like, I don't want to talk about a wheel of awareness. But you know, so I found Headspace. I use that guy on Headspace. He's awesome. I do 15 minutes every morning, and it's made a big difference in my life. Yeah, my doctor said you have to commit to three months. I was like, three months? That's like a baby. I can't do three months yeah. of anything. I
0: know, and it's so hard. I, I've been meaning to. You have. I keep talking about trying. I had Dan yeah. Harris on, the big meditation guru now, and he's saying that all there's all this medical evidence, not a lot of bullshit, but actual like doctors saying data, well, it's your science. heart rate, and it lengthens your life and stuff.
1: And sleep for me, it's really and sleep. Yeah, I don't want to be taking sleeping pills. I mm. don't want to deal like, for me, it was a about centering myself and calming down and not talking all the time because <laughs> I can't, <Yeah. laughs> because I have a mouth yeah. to use it judiciously and an, <laughs> and an audience. But I've made a real like big career out of being a loud mouth. And I mm-hmm. figure like, especially with this book, I didn't want to write a book until I actually had something to say. Mm-hmm. And through the therapy and everything, it was, it was really, you know, vulnerable and that's not my special sweet spot. And that's something I have to work on. But I figure if I'm going to make a career out of oversharing, I may as well start doing oversharing important stuff rather than yeah. silliness.
0: Now, you talk a lot about your psychiatrist, Dan, in this book. Was that the first time you saw a real psychiatrist? I mean, you're what, 40-something now? I'm 40? 44 now. 44. I started seeing
1: him when I was 41 okay. or 2. Okay. Okay. Um, and yeah, I had seen therapists before, but I was never ready to get real. I didn't want to cry in front of anyone. I mean, I hadn't cried in front of anyone about myself or about my brother dying or about my mother dying. Um, since they died, like it just is an off limits topic.
0: Wow. Now, uh, Dan, how did you find him? He How was on my show, life? my Netflix show. Okay. I
1: interviewed him about, you know, doing drugs and what, like adolescent <laughs> brain development, like oh, okay. when it affects okay. you the most, like when people yeah. should be able to smoke pot, like to not damage their brain mm-hmm. and really the science behind it. But
0: yeah.
1: with it's, regard to meditation, the science is indisputable. You right. know, it just helps with so much.
0: Was that a weird power dynamic when you come in as his patient then after having him on your show?
1: Uh, No, 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 no. no. I mean, he knew I had something percolating when he met me because he was like, you know, if you ever want to come in for a session, I was like, yeah, (laughs) I go, I will. I'm not there yet. (laughs) You know, you have to really be ready to face your issues. You have to be really ready to say, I want you to tell me everything that's wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are my issues? And please explain to me why I'm so stuck.
0: Yeah. Now he introduces you to something I've never heard of. I, I think it's called Enneagram? Enneagram? Yeah. Enneagram, Enneagram,
1: yeah.
0: You are an eight on the whatever we call it, an Enneagram spectrum or whatever. Uh what does that say about you?
1: It's uh says that I am a fixer. I'm a cleaner upper, which okay. is, is which is exactly what I am. I go in and I can fix anything and I can take care of any situation as long as it's not directly related to my own stuff. Okay. So I'm your best friend and I will, you know, I but I I I have a, a integrity of honesty I was having an integrity of honesty with the world I was constantly telling everybody the truth but I wasn't really telling myself any truth you know what I mean mm-hmm. I just was in constant mos- motion and I think in 8 in this kind of philosophy in enneagram which is by the way backed up by tons of scientists and psychotherapists and psychiatrists there's a whole community that really like are into it because at first I was like is this astrology like adjacent <laughs> yeah. back off um so it's a little bit you know I mean it's a little bit more theoretical than it is okay. solid facts, but okay. uh, the, but it
0: made sense to you. But it eventually. made it,
1: it clicked with me, and I mm. think when you're in a moment about self discovery and learning about yourself, it's whatever works mm. for you. It's whatever you believe in. As long as yeah. you believe in it, then that's true for you.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you say that Trump is an eight two, right? That's what. What they does say, that say?
1: That me and Trump have a lot in common, which is not which is true because I'm a lot like my dad. Uh-huh. Um, and my dad's a lot like Donald Trump. So, yeah. you know, that's probably a part of the, the vitriolic reaction I have
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> towards yeah. him. Well, yeah. And I think that you say that your dad was the kind of guy who was always putting on a show for people. Is that where you get your desire to entertain a room?
1: Yeah. I have a lot of need for attention, you really? know, and I've definitely, well, I think also, you know, my brother died when I was, I was nine, he was 21. Yeah. So there were six of us, and we were bookends. You know, he was the oldest, I was the youngest, I was cute, blonde, you know, precocious, and my was the center of my family's universe. That's mm-hmm. how it felt. And when my brother died, uh, my I obviously was grief-stricken, we all were, but we all didn't know how to deal with that together. We, no one had yeah. the vocabulary, and I certainly had, as a nine-year-old, just realized, oh, I saw what happened to my dad and my dad retreating and him breaking down and becoming this weak. My dad was this big, strong guy, and he was just crying in front of everybody. People were coming over, you know, to visit my family after everyone heard, and I just saw my dad fall apart. And I was like, no, 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 you're strong. You have to stay strong like you're my dad. And yeah. he wow. and I and I looked around and I remember thinking and I talk about in the book, like, oh, God, if everyone's going to fall apart, who's going to take care of this family? And it wasn't going to be me. But I I, I wasn't going to cry like that. I wasn't going to be weak like him. Like yeah. I was pissed at my dad for like letting my brother ruin his life and then my life. And, you know, I lost two guys in, you know, in a, in a span of time. And my dad eventually he and I became close again when I became older. But the rejection from those two male figures who were the most important people in my life. You know, your brother is like a crush when you're a little girl. It's like your first boyfriend. Right.
0: Especially though he was your oldest brother. Yeah. Right? He I was mean, the,
1: he'd pick me up and so come up H the stairs and throw yeah. me over his shoulders. <laughs> and he'd be like, make me dinner. And I'd go downstairs and make him a big bowl of cereal. <laughs> and... You know, he said to me, I remember the night before he left. And, you know, these memories, we don't know how true they are because it's our it's what's locked inside our brains for so long. And we don't know if we've embellished them Mm -hmm. or if we're if there were more memories, you know, if it was Mm -hmm. brighter, you know, than that or if it was darker than that. But he did. I remember giving him shit for going away when we were all going to Martha's Vineyard, as we did every summer in our family. And um He was going on a hiking trip and I, you know, I remember saying, why are you going away? Why would you leave me? You know, I was such a baby and I was his thing, his little plaything. And he's like, I'm never leaving you. He's like, I'm coming back. I'll be back in two weeks. Like I'm an adult. Sometimes people take vacations. It's going to be okay. You know, and he didn't come back. So that was for my whole life, uh, even though intellectually I knew it was an accident, Mm -hmm. At at that age, my nine year old brain was, it was rejection.
0: Right, right. You took the death as a breakup. Yeah, he left me for a better, down the road, a better family, better
1: little sister. My dad also disappointed me, Mm -hmm. wasn't there. And that, my relationship with men for so long has been get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Because I cannot rely on you. You are not reliable. No one is a dependable. Everybody will disappoint you. You have to yeah. be in charge wow. of yourself. So this like strong, fearless, thinking I'm killing it at life, yeah. <laughs> thinking I'm just going to be like no one's going to hurt me. Look how strong I am. I've I'm I've been through all of that and I'm still fine and I've got no problems. And look at my career. And then wait, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think uh, your psychiatrist calls it a self-defining relationship. I'd never heard that term before, but that kind of set you on this course for, whatever, 30 years after that, huh? Yeah. Um, You say that I guess you only had two serious relationships by the time you were 40. I guess relationships didn't really agree with you. I don't know if they do now. Are you interested in finding a mate yes. now? Really?
1: i'm I'm you're interested and in interested
0: in like a long-term relationship
1: yes I want to be in a relationship and I thought for a really long time that admitting that was a sign of weakness and or huh. you know i I thought girls who said I want a boy I need a boyfriend <laughs> I want to meet someone like yeah. that always rubbed me the wrong way it's mm-hmm. like be strong on your own you're fine on your own yeah and I've you know I i it was so hard for me to sit down and say to my doctor, I think I'm ready to be (laughs) in I'm like, here's a (laughs) sentence. I thought, never thought would come out of my mouth. I think I'm ready to be in a relationship. And he said to me, okay, I wanna get you to a place where you can be in a relationship and know that if something happens and they die, you're gonna be okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I was like, no, 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 nobody can die. Nobody can die, that can't happen again. No, no one dies, I can die, that's it. And he was like, when I felt what...
0: Well, that's not that realistic because you like older men, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all dying. Okay. No, now that I'm 44,
1: I have to slow, like, lessen the margin between the oh, age yeah. range because otherwise I'm going to be dating seven-year-olds. Okay. So now I have to get back to my own age if anyone will have me. So I just couldn't admit that I wanted to be in a relationship. And I do want to be in a relationship now. Mm. And I can admit it. And I understand that vulnerability is strength. Mm -hmm. And being able to say that you want something is fine. It's not weak. It's strong.
0: What do you look for in a guy now?
1: Someone who can ski. They have to ski really, really well. (laughs) And they can't be a ski guide, but they have to be able to ski great.
0: Okay. Because
1: I ski with ski guides, and I love it. But I would really like to share that time with somebody that I'm into.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Chelsea Handler when we come back in just a minute. Zebit believes that everyone deserves access to lifelong interest-free credit. With Zebit, you have the power to buy what you need and pay over time interest-free. Zebit provides a better zero-interest credit option for all members, no matter your credit score. With Zebit, there's zero cost to join, zero membership fees, and zero late fees. Your Zebit account is not determined by your credit score, and your Zebit account doesn't impact your credit score. Zebit has more than 50,000 products in their marketplace and brand names like Xbox, Sony, Apple, GoPro, and Fitbit all at competitive prices. From electronics to barbecues, furniture, and more, Zebit has everything you need for when you need it. Zebit has a 5-star rating on Trustpilot, and they've earned the trust of hundreds of thousands of customers. I have to admit that all of this sounded a little too good to be true, but then I went on Zebit and investigated a little myself, and you know what? It's true. Zero interest financing, no sign-up fees, and no late fees. Plus, they have a huge selection of products, from iPads and the latest TVs to clothes, appliances, gift certificates, and more, and at comparable prices to what you'd pay on Amazon or other sites. I know, because I actually compared. And get this. Sign up for Zebit today at zebit.com kick and get $2,500 credit to shop the Zebit Marketplace at zero interest and zero cost to join. So if you've been saving up for a new laptop or that Gucci purse you've had an eye on, why wouldn't you buy it on Zebit? That's Zebit, Z-E-B-I-T dot com slash kick for $2,500 of interest-free credit. Zebit.com slash kick. And now, back to the show. You give your psychiatrist, Dan, this whole long list of the things that guys do that annoy you and your non-negotiables. Can you run through a few of the top ones for us?
1: uh yeah i have a lot of problems with guys like jewelry male jewelry i'm not yeah. interested in seeing that on <laughs> necklace is off that's out yeah what if about I see a wedding a- ring wedding ring well that's well, not a I problem because you're married
0: well yeah from you i mean, <laughs> I mean right, right. Oh, from- <laughs> or, or are you yeah oh well, no you said you're not attracted to married men well, no, or I don't, you're attracted but you don't
1: no 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 i no. don't date married okay. men all right um but uh yeah i mean you know, like, uh, I know, are you hitting on me? Is oh, this shit. what's happening?
0: Um, <laughs> that was my wife there, <laughs> she's getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so, what, what else are the things that annoy you?
1: Uh, geez, like t- long fingernails on a guy when they don't cut their nails uh-huh. or toenails, you know, screwed up feet are tricky. That's are like, that's <laughs> hot, like, a hard thing to deal with. Um, I'm very Judgmental, and like what I some of the stuff that I worked on with him, like mm-hmm. that's all obviously just trying to protect myself and rejecting somebody before they can reject me. Yeah, and the more I keep saying that, the more I realize how true it is, and then the more free you become of it.
0: Is it hard for you to kind of bottle that in when you see a guy who maybe you're interested in, but he has the long fingernails or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, then I'm not uh, how interested. Do you control? No, oh, control? Oh, I that, see oh, that something, is a, that's still a, deal a deal breaker, breaker. Okay. yes. All right. I mean, we'll see. I mean, okay.
1: I, I, we'll see what happens in the near future. I feel like I'm going to meet somebody soon because my energy is in the right place, and I feel so ready yeah. to be, like, mature yeah. in a relationship, not a baby like I used to be. It would always be, prove to me you love me and prove to me you're coming back. Mm-hmm. I had, like, real reactions anytime any guy was – going, like getting on a plane or something, but I never really? could speak it. I didn't understand it. And it's so obvious, you know, for <laughs> yeah. anyone, but when you're in your life, it's not obvious. Mm-hmm. You're just in pain and you don't, and it's such a, it's like a, such a, um, it's in such a deep place, you know, that injury. And until yeah. you really clean it out and work with somebody who has the ability to help you understand all of your shortcomings and all of your injuries, Um, You shouldn't be in a relationship (laughs) and all the relationships I were in weren't healthy.
0: Your brother, of course, was taken from you very suddenly, whereas your parents had this steady decline. Both of your parents, your mom and your dad, uh, you kind of saw the handwriting on the wall and could at least emotionally prepare for that. I wonder which do you think is better? The latter where you have a chance to say goodbye and give everyone closure, but then, you know, they're also around for this whole long agonizing process when you're at your most vulnerable and your most undignified in some ways.
1: I think it's, you know, for the person being, for the person losing someone they love, Mm -hmm. for my experience was it's easier to be able to say goodbye. It's not, Mm -hmm. for the person dying, it's not. Anyway, anyone wants to die. But having someone snatched out of your life with no warning is just not recoverable.
0: Yeah. Now, later, your mom passed away from cancer. Her wish was to be buried with your brother. But it ends up in one of these farcical moments that's straight out of a sitcom. He's buried in a Jewish cemetery, and it turns out that she wasn't Jewish. And it leads into this whole ruse around the funeral. Can you tell that story?
1: Yeah. So my dad was Jewish. My mom was Mormon. And I didn't know Mormon was what Mormon was because my mom went to temple with us, and my Mm. brothers and sisters were all about mitzvah and bar mitzvah, as as was I. And my mom uh, would be on the bema, and she'd go up, and she'd speak Hebrew, and she was like, you know, I thought she was Jewish. (laughs) And then when he died, and you know, in a Jewish cemetery, you're not allowed to bury non-Jews. Right. And my dad was buying a plot for my mom, him, and my brother. The rabbi goes, well, you can't bury her there. She's not Jewish. And my dad, being the shyster that he was, was, it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. So when she did die... She had rediscovered her Mormonism after my brother died. My mom got religious. Mm-hmm. I found out that she was Mormon at my brother's funeral, so I was like, "Great, more fucking great news." Um, and <laughs> and then she had been going to church all the time. So she was, you know, she wore the linens and she was Mormon, and we had people at our house all the time, missionaries. And so we, she was more
0: Mormon than Jewish. She at that was point. way more Mormon. Yeah.
1: And by the time she died, my dad's like, okay, well, just so you know, after he's walking out of the hospice room, you know, my brothers and sisters and I are all together with my mom. And he's like, I, just so you you know, we're going to have to have a Jewish funeral <laughs> and just leaves. And my sister, who also w- converted to Mormonism, was like, mom's Mormon now. Like, all of her friends are church friends. Yeah. Like, they're all coming. And he's like, don't – he's like, yeah, but we've got to have a Jewish – we have to have a fake rabbi at a Jewish funeral.
0: And all the Mormons had to pretend like And we like couldn't even like, make eye yeah, contact with anybody yeah. at
1: the funeral because we were so <laughs> embarrassed because everyone there was like, what the fuck is this? Why is she having a Jewish funeral? She's at church every Sunday. So that's my family in a nutshell. Hot mess. <laughs> that's
0: unbelievable. And I want to say it was either uh, the day your mom died or the funeral was the day before you started your first show, Chelsea Lately. Was That the, that was the one for E, right? Uh, no, I had a show that, called The
1: Chelsea Handler
0: Show oh, right, the first, Chelsea Handler. and
1: that turned into Chelsea Lately. So okay. yeah, I... Uh, was I remember walking into the office my first day, and you know I didn't know any of these guys that had been hired to do a show with me, and everyone was very scared because everyone knew my mom had right. passed away. But I, you know, walked in. I was like, "It's." Everyone said, "You know, you're meeting people for the first time," and they all were apologizing me, apologizing, giving me condolences or giving their condolences. And I remember going, "It's fine. It's fine. People die yeah. all the time. It's no big deal." Huh. And my friend who was in the office with me that day always says to me, she's like, at that moment, I was like, oh, this girl has so much pain. Like, mm-hmm. she can't even talk about death. Yeah. It's just another thing that I was like, oh, no, I, I know how to deal with death. I've been down this road. Like, yeah. let me show you the way. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I mean, that's a terrible vibe to start off a new TV show. I mean, usually you're all amped up. Everyone's talking it up. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. And yet you yeah. have that whole thing going on in yeah. the background. How, how did you hold it together?
1: You just, I just did because I'm tough, you know. That's yeah. easy, I can be tough, I can not cry or not let things get to me and just push push past it. Um, so it was, it wasn't bad, you know. I was excited, my life was beginning. I, you know, fell in love shortly thereafter, really like f- for the first t- time in my adult life. And so, like, even though my, my mom died, it, I wasn't. I got to say goodbye to her, and that's all I cared okay. about. You right? got closure. I just wanted to say goodbye, and I mm-hmm. showed up for her, and I was with her, you know, night and day in the hospital, and so the last week of her life anyway, and I just, I just was grateful I got to say goodbye.
0: Now, you, I think, have had a regular series on and off for— probably like a dozen years now until very recently, that kind of pace has to take a toll and all the pressure of putting on a new show every night or every week and having this whole team around you and so many people that are counting on you for their paycheck and their livelihood and so many people looking out for you. Did you enjoy all of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to not enjoy that. It's it's great. It's I don't I, I what I didn't enjoy was with the speed at which i did everything you know you get really successful and everyone throws a million things at you and you want to grab it all and so i would do a book i would do a stand-up tour while i was doing five shows a week i'd fly out every thursday come home every sunday just go 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 because i thought i was stronger than everybody and tougher than everybody and i could just keep doing it and the truth of the matter is you burn out and you crash and especially me because I go at everything 110 miles an hour. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Nailed that. Got it. Yeah. And so what I don't like is the drama behind mm-hmm. the scenes and the cloying and and that kind of managing all those people. I I don't – I didn't love dealing with that. And I think – and I don't have—I don't know that I'm that good at it, you know, mm-hmm. at managing so many people. They rely on you. They want you. Yeah. They want you. They want you to like them. They want you. And, and, and there's a lot to, that goes along with it. It just wasn't my – it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
0: And, and I think you talk about also kind of having a certain lack of control over your life when you have that many people around you doing everything and shuttling you here and there. And I think you said that you felt that you were being parented <laughs> again. You kind yeah. of – yeah. reverted back.
1: It made me feel yeah. so good to have something so stable and so mm-hmm. structured. Sure. Like, even though it was a silly Chelsea Lately, for instance, I mean, that was the probably the longest one I did. The structure was so good for me because I was able to have chaos inside the structure. I had to be somewhere every day. I had everybody looking after me. Mm-hmm. People, you know, telling me what time to be somewhere. Everyone going, where is she? Without me, nobody could there was nothing. Without me, there was no show. So for me, I needed that value because my family, like I, you know what I mean? I was screaming and crying to get attention and no one had any to give me. So I needed to feel depended on. Mm -hmm. I wanted everyone to depend on me because I knew that if anything happened to me, it would be, it, it would affect everybody. And I finally felt like I was being looked after.
0: Your latest incarnation of a late-night talk show was on Netflix. Do you think that streaming really lends itself to the late-night talk show format? Because mm-hmm. I, I, you were one of the first ones, and I, you know, I look at the shows that they've tried to do, and it seems like there's something missing. Maybe that people yes. need that cue of the local news comes on, and then you know it's late-night time, and then you go to bed and that kind of thing. It, it, maybe you need it to be that kind of appointment television, whereas if you can just watch it whenever, then it lacks the immediacy
1: yeah i think there's some truth to that really yeah yeah for sure also for me it's just like i i just don't want to be doing the same thing my Mm -hmm. whole life i don't i mean some people love doing that and and i don't and why not let people who love to do it do it i don't want to interview celebrities for the rest of my life i just don't care
0: Do you ever worry that your fans aren't going to be on board with whatever's next? Uh, You know, like this new uh, venture into politics and activism. Do you ever get fans who are like, why can't you just go back to being funny?
1: Yeah, people get pissed all the time. I mean, this book was born out of a place of real authenticity. And I know from my fans and my career that the only thing that really ever strikes a chord is when you're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. um, For me, anyway. And that is my gift, to tell the truth and to not be ashamed of it and to let people know that they're not alone So uh, I as long as I do that and I can show people how I am getting through my life Mm -hmm. and the struggles and the hilariousness of being such a mess and trying to fix yourself and, you know, the constant tug and flow or like push and pull of of what life is like my ability is to be able to share all of that. And if I can share something profound Like this book poured out of me and I understood for the first time in my life what it means to have a purpose. Like, oh, this is this is purposeful. Like this is going to have an impact on people. Everyone has experienced loss and grief and it's ugly and beautiful and hilarious and heartbreaking all wrapped in one and all moving at the same time. But it's so important to communicate about it.
0: Yeah. And and kudos to you for throwing yourself 100 percent into activism and actually leaving your show to focus on that. I mean, you know, it's very easy to say that we all want to be a political activist or we're all outraged by Donald Trump. But, you know, you made a big sacrifice to go and do that.
1: I didn't really make a sacrifice. I just did what I had to do because I couldn't
0: Okay. I but there was a monetary sacrifice. Yeah, but
1: that's – am I really sacrificing? It's not like I'm in trouble financially. You know right, what I mean? Right. I know how – How? Yeah, I feel like it was my responsibility to actually do something important mm-hmm. for once in my life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I felt like, oh, oh God, <laughs> why – you know, I can throw myself into this. Like mm-hmm. I throw myself into things and I know I'd get results if I just went full force. It's not the way I want to approach everything in my life because I want to have you know. Now I'm so annoyed by pol- I can't even turn on the news. It's like I don't want to yeah. hear about these candidates. <laughs> I don't care. Pick someone and let me know who it is. Yeah. Um. So I did burn myself out. So my lesson in life is to fi- really figure out how to take my time more and to mm-hmm. do be thoughtful and actually think of the long game.
0: And I wonder if everyone has that kind of patience because one of my big concerns is that it seems like people are more inclined to channel their outrage into their social media rather than voting, campaigning, and actually showing up the way you did. I worry that tweeting and virtue signaling is going to take the place of real activism over the next two years.
1: Um, I wouldn't – I mean, listen, I think what happened happen in the midterms is only going to happen again yeah. and, on a bigger scale. And um, it just – it if we hadn't won the midterms, I would have been very desultory. Like I would have just thought maybe it is time to leave the country because it is a really sad place. Um, That you know to see everything that happens on a daily basis, but you have to be optimistic and you have to be hopeful, and that and that energy alone makes things happen. I mean, look what we've accomplished. Look how many women and people of color were elected to Congress that actually look like the country we live in and reflects our population. We are making progress. It's just not fun. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's hard work. Right now, it's not a fun dynamic. But while all these bad things are happening, there are beautiful, wonderful, optimistic things happening. At the same exact time
0: speaking of that right now i guess you're working on a netflix documentary that you talk about in the book uh, on white privilege that's coming out later this year can you talk a little about the documentary
1: uh yeah that was born out of the election as well i just realized you know how i felt so like things had gotten so out of control and i realized oh god you've never really had anything in your life not work out for you like i thought adults took care of politics Mm -hmm. And I realized how rarefied my life has been. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've had trauma and pain and, and loss, but really, holy, I've never struggled for anything. Yeah. I've never huh. been hungry or couldn't pay my rent. I mean, when I couldn't, somebody helped me. Yeah. You know what I mean? My father or my mom or whatever. Um, and so it made me really get out of my own ass. <laughs> And look around at what it means to be a person of color. And I started to read James Baldwin and James Joyce and Tennessee Coates and Tahanasi Coates. I'll always say that name wrong. <laughs> and really look – I wanted to be a better ally mm-hmm. and a better advocate. To people of color. So I wanted to hang my own privilege out to dry because I don't think most people are just trying to get from point A to point B. They're trying to pick their kids up. They're sometimes working more than one job, more than two jobs. People don't have time to think about what it's like for other people, marginalized right. communities. and. Right. And I really had to be like, what am I going to do with myself that's of import? What am I going to contribute? And so, you know, it's a difficult conversation. I'll get a ton of shit for making a film about white privilege. I'm sure I'll piss (laughs) every kind of person off.
0: But you're also it's a sort of a self-confession, which I think uh, gets you off the hook a little bit.
1: Yeah, I don't think it you know, I'm always on the hook. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always going to get in trouble because I have a loud (laughs) a big mouth. Yeah. But, you know, I can be more thoughtful about what my intentions are. And if, you know, and knowing when you have a platform that I have, it is my responsibility to stick my neck out for Mm -hmm. other people because I'm not affected by this presidency. I'm not my jobs. You know, like I'm not my life hasn't changed one iota. It's about thinking it's about not just, you know, voting for your best interests. It's about voting for, you know, marginalized Mm -hmm. communities, best interests, I believe, and that's what I that's why I, you know, jumped so deeply into it. But I mean, I don't think of myself in terms of, you know, like I'm some crazy activist. I, I mean, I, I was really angry. And yes, I suppose I am an activist, um, but it just feels like it's the right thing to do.
0: Why do you think white privilege is such a loaded term these days? I mean it, it's hard for any white person like myself to try and say that I didn't have some kind of advantage over other people. I feel like the country hears the term "white privilege" and equates it with white self-loathing somehow.
1: Yes, I think we have a we have a problem with taking responsibility. I mean, the most common thing that happened on the film was people going, i don't I've never seen anybody discriminate against black people." and it's like, mm-hmm. "Why would you see it?" If you're not black, right, you wouldn't notice it. If you're white and you're surrounded by white people and you live in Cumming, Georgia, this town we went to, um, you, you, it's just, it's a na, it's naive, and it's also you're living in your own bubble and you're mm-hmm. not paying attention to what's happening around you. Um, and white people, it is a white person's problem. White privilege is not a problem that we need black people to solve. But getting people, white guys, to talk about this yeah. on camera was yeah. almost impossible. Oh, really? People don't want to talk about it. Just like you said, they were, I mean, they're just, you know, nobody wants to say the wrong thing or sure. address the they issue. They feel like it's a trap. Right. And I'm <laughs> about, yeah. I'm all about um, uncomfortable conversations, mm-hmm. I think are strong. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it changes, you know, it's okay to screw up and say the right. wrong thing if you're trying to learn and admit your mistakes. And, and I'm open to learning all the time. So I thought it might be a good eye-opener. And the film is pretty, I visited an ex-boyfriend that I dated when I was in high oh, yeah? school. Yeah, uh, Who's black, who spent 14 years in jail. And his life, he had a full scholarship to UNLV. And he got caught with marijuana. We got caught together. He, they let me go. He got arrested. Really? And then after that, once you're in the system, like his whole oh life ended because wow. of being caught with a dime bag.
0: Wow, that's shocking.
1: And my life was fine. Wow. And we were both there, that's white brutal. and black.
0: Ironically, while you were filming this documentary, apparently you say that Netflix had to make you take a racial sensitivity course. <laughs> what the hell did you do?
1: I, um, I, gra- I smacked a girl um, on her butt like uh and i like as i like you know we hugged and then i i i just went like i do this i'm physically inappropriate all the time and i didn't even think yeah. that it was inappropriate you i had and no Joe idea Biden, uh, yeah exactly and then i smelled her hair and kissed her on the back of the head yeah. um but she was it wasn't received in the way that i intended it yeah. and it, what i learned And it may sound silly to some people and horrifying to others. Like, why am I grabbing women's asses? But I did it in a, like, to me, it was like a sisterhood thing. Like, that's, you know, like, you're a girl, I'm a girl. We're sisters. Right. You go, girl. I do that to everybody. And what I learned is that, first of all, stop doing that to people. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not about your intention. It's about how it's received. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what your intention was. I mean, yes, it matters to a degree. But really, all that matters is how somebody feels. Mm -hmm. And if somebody feels violated, then you need to, like, then that's, then that's what you have to respect. And so I spoke to her and I apologized. And then after Netflix put me in a racial sensitivity (laughs) training class.
0: I've got to ask you then about the Joe Biden thing. Does he get a pass for that? And also just because you've been campaigning for women and minorities and said, you know, I'm kind of over all these old white men candidates, uh, what Yeah, do you I'm think? not
1: really thrilled with anyone in their 70s running for president. No. Like, I think that's really gross. Like, stop. It's <laughs> not – we don't need a 70-year-old president. We need somebody – you know, I think there should be, you know, term limits and age caps because, you know, some of these guys don't even know what the hell they're talking about. I mean, people say Jeff Sessions is, like, completely – out of it and that he's senile and he's I mean he was our attorney general I mean these guys are like you watch that senate committee you know any hearing and you're like oh my god these guys are so old uh I think that when women are not getting
0: people at their best
1: yeah no I think that when women uh I think that when women come out with stories about a man playing with your hair and kissing you on the back of head the back of the head and they become public about that it really diminishes mm-hmm. victims of sexual assaults yeah. and people who have been assaulted and trapped in a bedroom and and trapped in a hotel room and beaten okay you know Right, let's right. get serious about this Yeah. and somebody smelling your hair and being weird old, yeah whatever yeah. old guys more weird reason, old
0: men yeah, do things yeah,
1: yeah not that there's an excuse for that you don't right. want people to feel uncomfortable absolutely not but let's Be honest about what that is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but is it possible that you wouldn't have undergone this whole transformation and become a political activist if it hadn't been for Donald Trump getting elected? In some ways, do you think you owe him a little bit of a debt?
1: Yeah, I owe that whole vampire family some debt. I mean, the Trumps (laughs) definitely I mean, it's a kinder it's going to be a kinder, softer world because Mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? The reaction to them is people being kinder to each other. I know I've been kinder to people since this election because you just got to find that you want to reach out to people and you want to commiserate with them. And you want to also just it's a real it was a real reality check for so many people. And I know I'm not the only person who had this reaction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think a lot of people are faced with a choice. Do you want to be part of the world or do you not? Do you want to isolate yourself and have a very small world, or do you want to have a big world and be open and connect? Yeah. Um, Is it true that you faked having polio as a kid?
1: Uh, Yeah, not for long. I mean, it was just a morning. (laughs) I did a lot of stuff to get attention or to get out of going to school because I hated school. Uh And so my parents were pretty, like, you know, loosey-goosey with stuff. They didn't really ever check on things. So... But one, uh, my mom, yeah. One day, I didn't want to go take a test or something, and I said I couldn't move my legs. <laughs> that was the best thing. I was like, I, I can't just keep faking sick. I have to come up with a new one. So I was like, I can't move my legs, and my mom's like, Oh, come on, really? I'm like, Mom, they won't move. And she goes, You know what? We're gonna. They took me to the hospital and they poked my and prodded my legs with these needles. And I remember the doctor like closed the shade and said to my mom, You need to take her to see a psychiatrist.
0: What you actually endured them I poking endured needles? I endured the needles,
1: too. and I just didn't move my legs. i didn't do anything and he's like she's fine
0: Uh, that's like a scene out of dirty rotten scoundrels isn't it my mom threw (laughs) a pair of jeans at me
1: she goes put those on and i was like i can't put them on i can't move my legs (laughs) don't trick me yeah totally i was terrible as a child I was terrible
0: by the way how are the chow chows
1: oh thank you for asking they're both bert and bernice my doggies they are uh they're 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 home they're (laughs) They're great okay they don't love me as much as i love them but whatever i guess i
0: deserve that yeah, in the book, I think you said that they had to go through dog training like two or three times, right?
1: Yeah, they went for an extended period of time and then came they back even graduate. worse. So I won't oh, mention really? that dog trainer, no. But,
0: <laughs> yeah, I've never but, heard of a dog getting held back in dog school.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, for six weeks at a time. I was yeah. like, are you keeping my dogs? Just tell me. <laughs> um, no, they prefer my cleaning lady much more than me. She had to retrain them. She feeds them. She yeah. And so Bert, my... Number one, I love this dog so much because of his body type, because he's overweight, and I love yeah. that. But he uh, he wants my bell. He follows her from room to room, and the only time I can be with him is when she leaves. <laughs> he gets depressed. He has to sit by the door for 45 minutes every day when she leaves at 4, and then slowly throughout the night he'll start to meander towards me. But it is a dog fight. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet.
0: And, and I think that you said that this was the true test of your competency over the past year. Yes, and, you know, right. Gradually learning to do things for yourself. You picked up dog poop. You walk the dogs. Yeah. You feed the dogs. Well, I don't walk them. No, let's oh, you not don't? get carried no. away. Okay. No, but I have picked <laughs> yeah. up dog poop. Yeah, you're poop. not a martyr. No,
1: no, 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 no. I can't go for a walk.
0: <laughs> this has been so much fun, Chelsea. Again, Chelsea Handler's book is called Life Will Be the Death of Me and You Too. Chelsea, it was a blast. Thanks for Thanks, talking guys. with me. Thanks again to Chelsea Handler for coming on the podcast. Order her book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, and you too, on Amazon, Audible, or wherever books are sold. To keep up with Chelsea, you can visit her website at chelseahandler.com or follow her on Twitter at, at Chelsea Handler. Whatever struggles you're facing, from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat or text with your therapist. And anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Kickass News listeners can even get 10% off your first month with the discount code KICK. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com KICK and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today. Be sure to subscribe to Kickass News on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And if you like what you're hearing, then rate and review us while you're there. Five-star reviews are the easiest way for new listeners to find us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at News kickassnewspod. And feel free to email me with your thoughts, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. Until next time, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.